I, that's all I'll say right now. So uh, we've been talking about for a few weeks uh, religion or relationship, and I, I just I want to thank you guys. I have gotten uh, some good feedback from some of you about this. You've told me you've enjoyed this series, and it's been a, a blessing to you. I always appreciate that. I really do. I don't mind hearing feedback, good or bad. So, uh, but I've gotten good feedback on this. I hope it's been helpful for you. My whole heart, my point in the in the series was really just to help us learn to just sort of walk out life in Christ. That's what this is all about. And I think there's different ways that that can happen. And, and many people try to walk out their life, uh, you know, in religion. And I think it, it's, it becomes a challenge. It's difficult. I think it's, it's much more freeing and much more of a blessing both to ourselves and others to be able to walk out our life in that relationship with Jesus. So that's what we've been talking about. And we'll wrap it up today. Last week while we were in Hermiston, I know Kevin shared with you guys and, and really gave you some practical tips, some, some ways to cultivate that relationship with Jesus. And he used a book. Did you talk about the book itself? Uh, Spirit of Disciplines by Richard Foster, which is, it's a classic. It's really, it's a modern day classic, I guess. But it's one of those books that every Christian should read. Huh? Celebration of Discipline. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, that's Dallas Willard, is for this one, but they're both good. Uh, Foster's book is, everybody should read it. You really should. If you have never read it, I would really, really encourage you to get a copy and read it. It's probably like the 25th anniversary edition or something right now. Who knows? But good stuff. So um, today I want to wrap this up, close this series with one, uh, you know, one last message, one last look at Jesus, okay? Uh, Jesus really... Uh, came to put an end to religion, among other things. Uh, you know, Jesus came to say, you don't have to do anything to get to me. You don't have to cross any bridge, build any tower. You don't have to do anything to get to me. I came to you. I'm here now. I'm here all the time. I'm everywhere. I'm available. I'm accessible. Um, I, I, want, I want to be in relationship with you. So I want to just uh, pray really quickly one more time, and then we'll go ahead and, and dive into this uh, and wrap up with it. Lord, thanks for, uh, among so many other things, your word. Your word is just so rich and so full. Open it up to us today that we can receive from you and learn uh, a little more about who you are and, and what your heart is and how to walk with you. Uh, just bless this time in your name. Amen. So, Gospel of John again. We, we were in the Gospel of John last time I was with you. Um, and we're going to move a couple chapters ahead today in John chapter 9. So let me just read a few, a few verses of John 9. As he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as day we must do the works of him who sent me, night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, he made some mud with the saliva and put it in the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Uh, last time I mentioned John is such a great storyteller. I, I just love his approach, the way he writes this. Um, another great example here. I, I mean, 
so Jesus heals a blind guy, right? Which is, uh, you know, that's significant in and of itself, but there are four or five stories uh, in different places of the gospel where Jesus heals blind people. Um, so it's not altogether unique that he did that, but, but there, there are some unique things about this particular instance that are, are very different than any, any other uh, of those events or any other healings, really. Now, Jesus employed different methods in healing at different times, but this one is pretty unique. Um, so I want to I take a look at that. The, the first thing, they're walking along, they see this guy. I don't know how they know he's blind from birth. I'm not sure how, how they had that information, but they did. They're, they're aware somehow that this was not an injury or a degenerative sort of thing, but that he had been blind his whole life. Um, and, and so when they see him, and apparently they all knew this, uh, the disciples ask Jesus this question. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Um, so what's, what's behind that question? Uh, to me, that's a weird thing to say. There was a, uh, a belief, a Jewish uh, tradition. Uh, Jews had, it's really sort of, in some ways, if they didn't call it this, but it's kind of like their own version of karma, Okay. They did not believe in reincarnation. You know, reincarnation and you die. If you're a good person, you're reborn as something better. If you're a bad person when you die, you're reborn as something worse. So, like, if you're really good, you get to be, I don't know, you know, a rich or famous person. If you're really bad, you die, you're reborn as a cat. I don't know. Um, just kidding. Not really. Uh, so, so, so they don't believe in that, but they do believe that there's a potential in the course of life, if you do good things, that in this life, those good things will be revisited to you. If you do bad things, then bad things will happen to you. It's, it's, it's really, it's karma. Like I said, they didn't call it that, but that's really what it is. It really, you won't find this in the Bible, but it really, if you do a little history, it's a cultural tradition of the time. That's really what was going on, and that really is the, the synthesis for this question right here. That's why they're asking Jesus this question. So here's the thing, if, if you believe in that, not reincarnation, but karma, so to speak, um, then if someone is born with a condition, born with something wrong, you, there, there has to be a category, there has to be a place to put that, right? That didn't happen because of previous things they'd done. or what, So how does that work? So the belief really was, and this is it, I mean, they really, it's bizarre to me, came up with the, their own theology, their, their, this notion, this idea that a person could actually sin in utero. You could somehow embryonically reject God. And so the question then that they're wanting to know, they're actually asking Jesus a theological question. They're asking Jesus, if I, if I can say this, uh, a religious question. Who sinned? What caused this to happen? I want to just, you know, you know uh, time out. Um, parent, par, par, parenthetical comment here. This is the height of religion. Okay? Um, total antithesis of grace. The whole idea that, first of all, that an embryo could sin. I don't know what, the, how, how does that work? Is just smoking crack in the uterus? I don't know what, how could that happen? I don't know what's going on there. Um, but with that, the notion that somebody has to pay. Right? Somebody has to pay for this. That's, that's the idea behind, you know, 
this person is suffering today, this situation happened because of something someone did wrong. Uh, that really is the height of religion. With that, here's, I suppose, my question. There's a person in need. And a living, breathing human being in need. But instead of saying, hey, maybe we could help him. Maybe there's something we could do to, to help this person. The disciples decide that it would be more important right now to have a theological debate. What, what brought this on? What, co- what caused this to happen? So, in my mind, uh, yeah, here, here, kind of, oh, man. But I think this is what we do. I do. I think this is what we do sometimes. Um, sometimes when we see suffering, we begin to ask those kinds of questions. And I, I know that because I hear these kind of comments from Christians, and I'm not talking about non-Christians, I'm talking about Christians quite often. Um, oh, those people, they're poor because they're lazy and they won't work. That's why they're in that situation. If they would just, you know, get a job, that would be better for them. We're just blaming them. Uh, there's judgment. The reason that that earthquake or that hurricane or that whatever happened over there in that other country is that's God's judgment because they don't follow God. So, of course, that's going to happen and thousands of people are going to die. That's why that happened. There's a blame for that. I, I think in our country, the, it's 20 years or so, recent history, HIV, AIDS. I don't know how many times I've heard people say it's God's judgment. It's God's judgment. I've heard people say it's God's judgment on America. I, you know, I, I think it's just religion. It's just religion. Um, I think, WWJD, I think Jesus would say, what can I do to help? How can I bring grace? How can I bring mercy? How can I bring healing? How can I bring redemption into this situation? What can I do to help these people out of the situation they're in? Rather than who's to blame. I want to talk about the disciples for a second here. And this is really important. Because... Talking about religion, I don't think we normally think of the disciples as religious people of the day. We normally think of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, right? They're the religious people. But to me, this illustrates how these attitudes can be in us, in all of us, without us even being aware of it. I don't think the disciples would have considered themselves to be religious people of the day, and yet... I think they shared some of those attitudes. They were just ingrained in them from the teaching, from their culture, from things around them, and they weren't even aware of it. You know, I, I've said this before, the disciples were c- kind of knuckleheads, and I mean that affectionately. I, I love them, but they're kind of knuckleheads. But here's the thing about the disciples. Can I just say this? They continued to follow Jesus. And eventually they figured it out. So John, who writes this, the Apostle John, you read any history, end of John's life, he's this humble, humble, he lived longer than all the other disciples. Last one, he wasn't martyred. You know, he's on the island of Patmos, has revelation and all that. They said there's historical stuff. I don't know if it's legit. It's not in the Bible, but it sounds legit. At the end of his life, they would, he was so old, they'd have to help him out on the stage, and he'd come out, and he'd say, love one another. 
and then they'd help him off. He figured it out at the end of his life. But when he was younger, the sons of thunder, remember him and his brother, they caused a lot of trouble. Peter, you know, Peter was, he was rolling chaos, you know what I mean? He's in all kinds of trouble all the time. End of his life, man, Peter is this broken, humble servant of God. See, here's the thing. They just kept walking with Jesus, and eventually it, it all worked itself out. Does that make any sense? We're not gonna, we're not gonna get it all right. We're gonna make mistakes along the way. We're gonna trip and fall. But you just keep walking with Jesus. Sooner or later, it'll start to become clear. Sooner or later, you'll, it'll make sense. That's what I love about the disciples. Yeah, they were knuckleheads, but they just kept following Jesus. Jesus rejects this idea of karma, either this man or his parents' sin. This happens so the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming. No one can work while I'm in the world. I'm the light of the world. Um, So Jesus says, no, the karma thing is not what happened here. And then he makes this kind of um, mystical sort of comment, right? He does this now and then. He talks about these things a little abstractly. But I think the disciples... Uh, knew what this meant, and, and, and we figure it out. You know, you have the whole book. But whenever Jesus makes these kind of comments, usually what that means is it's miracle time. He's going to do a miracle. That's what the disciples knew. Oh, when Jesus, oh, get back. When Jesus says something like that, something's going to happen. And uh, that, that's really what, what's going on here. So First little twist in this story, different than other healings, is that this question comes up and there's this dialogue about that. The the second unique thing, the second twist in the story is is this. After saying this, this is Jesus. He spit on the ground, he made some mud mud with the saliva and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool I saw him. This, mean, this word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home. Sing. Um, that's weird. Okay? Is that weird? That's weird. How many of you have ever done that? Pray for healing. I'm going to spit in the ground. I'm going to make mud, and I'm going to mix it and put it in your eye. Um, I just think that's bizarre. I, I don't understand the, the, the whole mud thing. Um, you know, I, <coughs> I think about this. I'm going, how much mud does it take to cover a guy's eyes? It's not a lot of mud, but that's a fairly good-sized loogie. I mean, that is a hawker. I love, I love art. I love uh, paintings, stained glass that depicts pictures of creation of Jesus ministering. There's a lot of, I have a whole collection of magazine covers with Jesus on the cover. I have never seen a picture of Jesus hawking a loogie anywhere. No, there are no depictions of this. This is not ever, nobody has drawn this. I might do that. Jordan, I'll commission you to draw a picture of Jesus spitting. Um, So he spits into the ground and mixes it up and makes mud and then he takes the spitty mud and rubs it in the guy's eyes. Seemingly not a very compassionate thing. I'm just, again, 
kind of... Um, let me just time out again. Let's ask a question here. I have a question. How many think that Jesus could have just said, be healed, and the guy would have been healed? Yeah, he could have done that. How many of you think he could have laid hands on the man's eyes and prayed for him and been healed? Yeah, I think he could have done that. I think Jesus uh, could have done any number of things, but he didn't. What he did is spit on the ground and make mud and rub it in the man's eyes, and then he sends him across town. Now, the guy's blind, and now he has mud in his eyes. Sends him across town. So he's going to need help. Somebody's going to have to lead him to this place uh, to wash. And then he'll be healed. Why did he do that? Why, why did he follow this course of action rather than just pray for the guy? I mean, you have to ask that question, right? There are other times when Jesus just says be healed and someone is healed of blindness, right? Why did he do that? I know why. The day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Uh-oh. Here we go again. I, 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 the disciples, I know right here, they're going, oh, are you kidding me? He's doing it again. Uh, there's a lot of stuff you can't do on the Sabbath day. There's the law, all the, the, the very specific laws, written laws, unwritten laws. There's a lot of things you can't do. Uh, one, one thing you can't do on the Sabbath, I find this interesting, you can't heal someone unless it's a matter of life and death if a person you know uh, cuts their finger off with a chainsaw uh, and is bleeding out you you can try to stop the bleeding and help them if a person has a heart attack you can perform cpr on the sabbath but if it's a chronic illness you cannot do healing on the sabbath day and that makes sense really right the guy is blind he's been blind his whole life and He's going to still be blind tomorrow. And if Jesus had waited till tomorrow, there would be no question here, no situation, no, no uproar. But he didn't. He chose to heal him on this particular day. Another thing you can't do on the Sabbath is you can't mix anything, okay? You can't make bread on the Sabbath day because you cannot knead dough. You can't mix it together. You cannot make clay on the Sabbath day. You can't mix the water and the the stuff to make the bricks. You can't do that on the Sabbath. It was reminiscent of what? Of the, of, of the Israelites being in captivity in Egypt and making bricks. So those are, there was a reason behind that. You could not do that thing. So what Jesus does here is breaks all of those rules. The very act of spitting in the mud and mixing it up and putting it in the guy's eye was a very intentional act. He did this on purpose. He, to he totally did this. This is, again, just like I said last time, this is an in-your-face. Can't do this? Well, I'm gonna, I, I can heal this guy. Not only can I heal this guy, but I can mix something up and heal him. Sends the guy across town. Why does he do that? Pool of Siloam is a very specific place. During... Jewish festivals or religious days, the Pool of Siloam is where people would go to get water and take that water to the temple to be blessed that it could be holy water. So here's the thing. On the Sabbath day, you can't carry water. To, like if you just need drinking water, cooking water, you can't go get your water on that day. But you could go to the Pool of Siloam and get water to take to the temple because it will be blessed as holy water. So Jesus not only 
mixes spit, puts it in the guy's eyes, heals on the Sabbath, but he sends the guy across town so that people will see him walking and know there's going to be a trail of people going back and forth along that same road that day. Jesus knows there's going to be people walking down this road today. That's why I want him to go there. He sends him to this specific place on this specific day just for this reason, to say, you know what? I don't, I don't need no stinking religion. I'm going to heal who I want, when I want, whenever. I'm going to show mercy and grace to this guy today. I don't care what your rules say. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. I'll heal whoever I want, however I want, whenever I want, wherever I want. This is, this is a very liberating message. Can I say that? This is a very liberating message. You, you could, you, you could, if you were smart, you could call this good news. And this is not, um, you know, good news, right? We won. Our team won the big game today. That's good news. It's going to be sunny this weekend. That's good news. This is not that good news. This is, this is life-altering good news. This is a, a redirection of everything we know good news. This is amazing Yeehaw! good news. We are today, <laughs> we're in a place where we can celebrate that with joy and with freedom. That's what this is all about. That's what we talked about in this series. That's what church is. We come together because we celebrate that freedom and that joy that we have, that good news that God has done this for us. That's why we're here. So here, here's my thing, and I'm, uh, this is the end of this series, and this is really the thing. It would be, uh, it would be sad, I think, to drop the ball on sharing that with other people. Kind of, wouldn't it? I, I, think, I think most of the time when good news happens, we're inclined to share that, aren't we? Isn't that what happens when you go to work on Monday? You talk about the game that your team won on Sunday. You talk about the good thing. You and we share good news. It would be sad to drop the ball on sharing the best news ever. In Jesus' last sacrifice and his last, really, act of defiance, and that's what the cross, the whole thing, it seems weak. It's not weak. We know that's strong. It was his last act of defiance. Uh, Jesus died, can I just, he died not only for our sin, he died for our religion. Did you know that? I'm not just making this stuff up. It's a, cha- uh, chapter 2 of Ephesians. He himself is our peace. He has made the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commands and regu- regulations. Jesus put religion on the cross. Colossians 2 says the same thing. When you were dead in your sins in in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code, the law, with its regulations, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Jesus died for our sin, and he died for our religion. He died to give us freedom in Christ. That's really a part of what he was for for us. That's good news. That's really, really good news, guys. It really is. Um, you know, it's such amazing news, really. You would just want to share that with everybody, I think. And, you know, it, the interesting thing is that's initially what his disciples did. They went out and they shared it with everybody. They went around just sharing the good news. That's what they did. They went from place to place. You're forgiven in Jesus. You're free in Jesus. You can be healed in Jesus. 
That's what they did. But, but here's what happens with people. People are, you know, people. And along the way, some really smart folks, I suppose, got together and said, hey, this is such good news. This is so amazing. We should make a religion out of it. We, we should. We can add some of our own rules and formalize it and clean it up around the edges a little bit, be more marketable that way. And, and we can have our own religion. We can call it the Christian religion. You know, and it'll be just like other religions, except it's, it will do it all in the name of Jesus. And it sounds so good, and it sounds so holy, but it really it's very crafty, isn't it? Kind of crafty. Remember the crafty serpent? See, I think here, I, that's what I think. I, I think the serpent's still at work, and, and I, I think he has not really changed his game up a whole lot. He's really doing the same thing. You know, the old saying, if it's not broke, why fix it? I think he goes, yeah, these people are so dumb, I can do the same thing over and over and over again. I didn't mean that, but... So here's my appeal. This is, this is my, my final appeal in this series. Um, I think we have an opportunity to be a generation of Jesus followers. And, and I'm saying that, I'm trying to, you know, I, I don't have an issue with semantics. I really don't. If you want Christians, whatever, I don't care. But just generation of Jesus followers who live and walk out that relationship in Christ without all the trappings of religion. Um, I think we can be a generation of people defined not by our past, but by our future. Here's what I mean. Religion is all through the Bible. Did you know that? There are only two places in the Bible that there's no religion. In the beginning and the end. In the Garden of Eden, before it all went sideways. And in the city at the end. I, you know, I was thinking about that old song. Gotta get back to the garden. I can't, I can't that's horrible, I'm sorry. But you know what I'm, you know, it was Joni Mitchell, I think, but... Uh, We've got to get back to the garden, but we don't want to just go back. It's kind of back to the future, back to the garden and forward to the sea. And, and be defined by our future, not our past. And here's, we'll just close with this. I'm going to read the end. So a new heaven and a new earth, where the first heaven and earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. The sea very often is symbolic of turmoil. You know what I mean? The waves, there's no, that's why there's no sea here. It's, it's, it's calm and peaceful. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Ah, man. You see, here's the deal. Uh, we're not... <laughs> questions. <coughs> Got questions? We're not rescued up. God comes down. The kingdom of God comes down, just like the king came down. That's how it works. There was no religion in the garden. And check this out. This is, I'll bet you've never noticed this. 
There's no temple in the city. I did not see a temple in the city. Why is there no temple in the city? Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city doesn't need the sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their splitter into it. No one on, sorry, I can't see. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. That's our future people. That's where we're going. And so the, 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 the idea, the whole idea behind the kingdom of God is let's move that direction. Let's walk that way. Let's move that way. Let's begin living that out now. Let, let's, let's take a little bit of that. Let the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let's start moving towards that reality. There's no temple in the city because God's the temple. The Lamb is the temple. He's where we are. He's with us. We don't go to Him. He came to us. The King came down and the kingdom came down. That's our future. That's our future. We can be a generation of Jesus followers that lives in that reality right now if we so desire. Why don't we stand? I want to ask uh, the worship team to come up and just, or maybe, I don't know, if you don't have to all come up, maybe Joey and Sarah. <laughs> uh, and here's the thing, I want to pray today. And so I'm going to invite, uh, I'm just going to open this up. If you would like prayer this morning, for any and every reason, I'm going to invite you to come up. But I tell you, these guys got hot hands. I'm just saying, okay? And if you want to get prayer, I would invite you to come up and let them pray for you. Um, I mean, you know, I was, I'm just saying. Last week when we were in Hermiston, I think, I thought I had a pretty good word. But the truth is, at the end of the time, I had a couple words come from the team, and they prayed for people, and it was really a blessing. And so I just say, if you want prayer this morning, come up. We're going to close with some worship. Just come and let, let somebody pray for you. Just why not? Why would you not want to be blessed?